So what is up, City Life? Yeah. So like John said, my name is Sam Reese. I am one of the pastors here. If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5. And while you're turning there, I just want to say that um, I'm excited to be here. Uh, college ministry has been significant in my life and in my story, and I spent five or six years on staff with a college ministry. So this is fun. It's like memories for me. I'm excited to be here, but it is also past my bedtime. I'm old and have small children. When they go to sleep, I sleep too. Things change. So what's, what, what to look forward to for you guys? So uh, I do also want to ask, how many of you guys watched the Super Bowl a couple days ago? Really? I mean, yeah, okay. So was anybody excited about the outcome, right? No? Okay. So if I can be honest with you, yeah, people hate the Patriots. I can't believe y'all aren't like, yes. So um, so if I can be honest with you guys, like I, I like football. I enjoy watching it. The game was really good. It was really entertaining. Fourth quarter hits, Patriots take the lead. Are the Eagles going to win, like come back and score? Yes. Are the Patriots going to score? No. They're going to sack, fumble. Eagles are going to win. But... It was a great game, but can I be honest with you? Like the highlight of the game for me was Justin Timberlake, right? So I'm not ashamed. I've had a man crush on Justin Timberlake for years, right? So you guys, some of y'all, how many of y'all are like 18 in here? So I'm going to go ahead and say that my man crush is probably as old as you are. Back to the days of NSYNC. Uh, but anyways, just a super talented guy. He can sing. He can dance. He can act. He's hilarious. He brought sexy back. We don't know where it went, but he brought it back. <laughs> Anyways, I am a little frustrated with him, though, because I literally had gone out to buy a new shirt to wear tonight, and then he wore it on Sunday. He stole my thunder. I can't rock that after him. He's Justin Timberlake, right? Um, Anyways, yeah, so the Super Bowl was a fun, fun game, fun time. Justin Timberlake's awesome, just confession. Um, Anyway, so how many of you guys like singing competition TV shows or like talent competition shows like The Voice or America's Got Talent or the new one is called The Four? Like anybody watch those things or those like old and outdated? Good, okay. So I don't watch them anymore, but I used to love watching American Idol, but not American Idol when it was like we're voting to see who wins, but like the early shows, the auditions, right? And some of y'all are already laughing because you know the point of those shows, like, they don't put mediocre people on there, the average people. It's either you can sing amazing or you're horrible and you think you're amazing, right? So um, in watching those shows, like, American Idol, like, it started to figure that out, that, like, people know when they're horrible. So let's just confuse people and we'll do backstory on everybody. So we'll interview them. We'll hear their passion and their desire and all the work that they've put into it. We'll hear from their family and friends who are saying how awesome it is. And then they show up in the room and you're like, are they going to be good? Are they going to be crazy? Like, we don't know. There's this moment of suspense. And then like, it takes like one note for you to know when they're terrible and Simon to be like, sorry, go home, right? Um, but this is what I realized in watching those shows, in those moments with those people that can't sing. I would be one of those people, by the way. Um, I cannot sing. But what I realized in, in those moments is a couple of different things. 
a, a couple of different things are revealed. One, we as people can be blind to the truth, right? We can delude ourselves and we can be so focused and so driven on something that we want, that we need, that we desire, that we miss the boat on the truth. And secondly, as I was watching those people going crazy, not singing well, I'm like, your family and friends do not love you. <laughs> Just to be real with you, right? Because they're letting you go on national television and be terrible and make a fool of yourself and throw a fit, right? The loving thing would be to be like, baby, I'm sorry. I know you enjoy singing. Let's keep it to the bath or the shower and your car, but let's not do it in front of people. You're really good at math. Let's just stick with doing some math problems or whatever the case is. The loving thing to do is to point out blindness, right? To point out false things and share the truth with people. Um, so as we look at the text tonight, what we're going to see in Galatians 3, 1 through 5 is that there's some blindness that's going on. But they're not left in their blindness. Paul lovingly, as a loving friend and spiritual father, is willing to point out their blindedness and remind them of what's true. So that's what we're going to see tonight. Um, so I've been listening to podcasts. You guys have been standing for the reading of God's Word. So if you want to stand, we will read Galatians 3, 1 through 5. So it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you work miracles and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. So what we're going to see here at the beginning of chapter 3 is that Paul is making a transition in the letter. If you've been here the last four weeks or so, you've walked through Galatians 1 and 2, and what we've seen is Paul defending himself and defending the gospel message, but now as we transition into chapters 3 and 4, he is making a series of arguments to the Galatian church, to, to the Galatian believers. And as we look at tonight, he is appealing uh, to their personal experience. So he's going to ask a series of questions, right, that are revealing the error of following false teaching in their lives. So if you like to take notes or write things down or just remember things, we're going to have two main points tonight. Pretty clean, pretty simple. The first point is we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace, right? So if you look at verses 1 and 2 here, Paul is writing to Galatian believers and he's using pretty long, strong language towards them. He says, "Foolish Galatians, Apparently Siri thinks I said, hey Siri. But, uh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul is calling the Galatians foolish and bewitched because they know the gospel truth, um, and yet they allowed a group of false teachers known as the Judaizers, right? I know, uh, I think last week y'all probably heard about them or a few weeks ago, uh, to come in and distort and contradict the gospel by adding works to it. So literally, 
their pattern was, okay, Paul goes into a town, he preaches the gospel, people are saved, their church is started, he moves on, and then here they come in after him. Oh, hey, yeah, Paul, yeah, he spoke truth, but he forgot, like, these other parts here. Like, you need the gospel, plus you need to keep the law, right? And for whatever reason, they were very much, and what we see in Galatians, they were very much about circumcision, right? And they, you know, yeah. Paul even describes that they came to spy out our freedom. And it's like, okay, so they're spying on people to see if they're circumcised or not. Circ- that's kind of awkward. Like, are you popping out of, like, stalls? Hey, you're good. All right. no. Like, really awkward, right? How do you know? Um, just a weird thing. But essentially, they're wanting people, Gentiles, to become Jewish before they become a Christian. They're saying, hey, you need to follow the works of the law. It's not just the grace of the gospel. And the Galatian believers here foolishly began to distort and contradict the gospel by believing what they were teaching, right? And what Paul, his argument is, is he's calling them to consider their previous experience. He is sitting here saying, guys, I know you believed in Jesus and his grace. In verse 1, Paul states, it was before your very eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. So this doesn't mean that they were eyewitnesses to Jesus on the cross. They weren't. They're in Turkey. They're Gentiles. They weren't Jewish people in Jerusalem watching that. They weren't eyewitnesses, but rather Paul shared the gospel of grace with them personally and watched them respond in faith. They believed the gospel, the gospel of grace. So he knows that their belief is real because the Spirit of God is proof. So in verse 2, he asked, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And they received the Spirit by hearing with faith, just like anybody else who believes in the gospel. When we believe in Jesus, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God. And Paul saw the fruit of the Spirit in their life, because while he was there, he was sick. They cared for him. They saw more people coming to know the Lord. So he's seeing fruit. So Paul Paul shared the gospel of grace with them personally, and he knows they responded in faith. Um, And the Spirit is evidence of that. Um, So he's pointing out the error here because they're communicating a gospel now that is not gospel of grace, but a gospel of grace and works to other people. And he's calling them back to the truth of the gospel, and he's clearing up the contradiction or, or distortion, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So these two verses should not be like shocking to you guys because this is kind of a summation of the previous two chapters, right? That we are saved by grace, that the gospel is a gospel of grace. Um, And literally, we know that the gospel means good news, right? So for the gospel to be good news, there has to be something bad. There has to be bad news. And the reality for us, what the bad news is, is that we are fallen, broken, sinful people, and there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. But the good news is that God did not leave us there. He didn't leave us in brokenness and separation from him, that he himself came down as the God-man, Jesus Christ, lived the perfect sinless life that we could not live, died the death that we deserve for our sin. He victoriously rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, so that when we put our faith and our trust in him, we are made right with God. That's the good news of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. We deserve death and the wrath of God, yet we are given life. Jesus deserves life, yet 
Our sin was poured out on him, and he received death. There's a great exchange that has taken place here. This is the grace that is given to us in the gospel. Grace is unmerited favor, right? This means we've done nothing to earn what Christ has done for us, yet he freely offers it to us. And it can be ours by faith. So this gospel message is not about us and what we have done, but rather is about Christ and what Christ has done for us. But can we be honest for just a moment, right? Like We kind of struggle with the concept of grace and what grace is, right? Because grace is unconditional. It's freely offered, freely given. Yet we struggle with, these un- with it being unconditional because most things in our life, in our culture, are conditional. So conditionality says that if I do this, then this will happen. Conditionality says that I must achieve so that I can receive. So you guys are college students. Here's how this could potentially play out in your life, right? So most of you all go to class, I take it. No? Okay. Great students, guys. Way to go. Uh, So anyways, like, if you study and you do your coursework, you will make good grades. Now, good is subjective. Like, a good grade for you could be a C. It could be a B. It could be an A. It might be a D. I don't know if D's pass anymore. They used to. D's equal degrees, right? Um, But, so if I study and do my coursework, I will make good grades. And if I make good grades, I will pass my classes. If I pass my classes, then I will graduate. If I graduate, I will get a job. If I get a job, I will get money. If I get money, I will get fame. Buy a car, a house. I might even be able to ask a girl on a date because I have money to take her on a date. And if I ask a girl on a date, I might get a girlfriend. And if I get a girlfriend, I might get a wife. And if I get a wife, I might have a kid. And if I have a kid, we have more kids, and it's a family. But this is this idea of conditionality, right? If this happens, then this will happen. And conditionality makes sense to us because it's reinforced a thousand different ways in our culture. Literally, think like, what do you put in your car to drive? Gas, right? So you, like, if I want gas, I just go to a gas, like, station and up to the machine, and it just comes out freely, right? Like, I just put it in my car and hit the button and it comes. No, I put a card in or I walk inside and I have to pay for it, then I get gas, conditionality. Sometimes I want money, and money comes from this, like, machine. It's called an automated teller machine, an ATM. And I walk up to the ATM, and it just freely gives money, right? I don't know what ATMs y'all are going to. Mine give me just money for free, right? No, like I have to put my card in. Cash comes out of my account. Conditionality. If I do this, this will happen. Do you not see how this is bred in us a thousand different ways? So just about everything is conditional in our lives. We operate with a mindset that when we achieve, we will receive meaning, security, respect, love, and so on. But what does this mean for us since we're so programmed with this conditionality, right? We're operating under the do this and this will happen. I must achieve so I can receive. And it's contrary to grace because grace is unconditional. It's not based on what we have done, but rather it's based on Christ and what he has done for us. So I want you to hear me when I say this, right? The gospel is not based on our ability to do, but rather the gospel is based on our ability to receive. I'm going to say that again. The gospel is not based on our ability to do, but rather the gospel is based on our ability to receive. It's not based on what we have done. It's based on Jesus and what he has done for us. And what do we receive? 
when we believe in the gospel, right? So through Christ, we receive forgiveness. There is nothing that you have done or currently doing or will one day do that can't be forgiven or is outside of the grace of the gospel. Through Christ, we receive righteousness. We're not righteous, but we're given Christ's righteousness when God sees us. Through Christ, we receive justification. We had a debt to pay that we could not pay. Christ paid that debt, and then we're credited with his righteousness. We are justified with the God of the universe. We are made right. Through Christ, we receive adoption. We were once orphans, and now we're adopted into the family of God. Through Christ, we receive sonship and daughtership. If you are in Christ, you are a son or a daughter of God. You are a part of his family. Through Christ, we receive an inheritance. Not only are we sons and daughters, but we are heirs with Christ. Through Christ, we were dead and we've been made alive. And the list goes on and on and on. And this is an idea of like Christ is in us and we are in Christ and this is what is true of us. So all of these things are true by grace through faith. It's not by grace plus us keeping the law, right? So any other message of Jesus plus something is not the gospel because those messages are based on our works and our merits and our effort and not grace. So Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 reminds us that for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. So what I want to ask you especially as you've been landing here the last few weeks and kind of hearing the same thing, that the gospel is a gospel of grace. What I want to ask you is, have you trusted in the gospel of grace? Or are you still leaning on your own works to make you right with God? We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, right? So that's point one. We are saved by grace. Our second point. We are sanctified by grace. We are sanctified by grace. We'll see this in verses 3 through 5. So I want to start out by defining sanctification, because it's one of those vacation words, right, that we can hear in church. Um, So sanctification means simply set apart. It is a progressive work in which God conforms us and transforms us into the image of Jesus. So it's a process of growth in the Christian life. So we just talked about what is true of us, our position in Christ, that in Christ God looks at us, we're fully forgiven, we're fully righteous, we're fully justified. That's our position, but our daily condition is a little bit different. I myself, Sam Reese, am not fully righteous. Jesus has been that for me. So my Christian life and your Christian life, if you're in Christ, is a life of process and change and a life of being conformed more into the image of Jesus. So as Christians, we, are, we receive saving grace through Christ, but we also have access to his sanctifying and transforming grace. We need his transforming grace to grow us and change us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that God's transforming grace, he's transforming us from one degree of glory to another. We're a people of process, a people of change. Philippians 1.6 reminds us that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. So God is working in us. Um, And we are a people of process. So we are going to grow and change throughout our life. And this growth and change does not happen in our own power, in our own effort, in our own flesh. This happens through faith and dependence on the work of Christ in our lives. 
Jesus is the one who sanctifies us. So once again, Paul starts off in verses 3 through 5 with some strong language. Are you so foolish? And again, he's using this strong language because he knows that the Galatians have distorted the truth, that they've allowed the Judaizers to contradict and distort what they believe. And this distortion and contradiction here is that we are sanctified and we grow and we are sustained in our Christian life by our own efforts and our own power. So as you look at verse 3, Paul is essentially asking them the question, did you begin by the Spirit, which is evidence that they believed in the grace of Jesus, only to be perfected in the power of your own flesh and works? The answer is no. Like, we don't start by the Spirit and then, hey, we're, it's all on us now. Paul then essentially asks in verse 5, does the Spirit that has worked in your life and among you even now do so because of your own power, effort, or because of faith? And the answer is by faith. We don't begin by grace and the power of the Spirit and then move forward in our own Christian life and our own power and in our own effort and in our own strength. So please hear me when I say this. The gospel not only saves us, it sanctifies us. It also sustains us. It transforms us. It conforms us into the image of Jesus. The gospel is not just the doorway into the Christian life, but it's the pathway that we walk on for a lifetime. We don't just leave the gospel behind and graduate on to our own effort and our own works. All growth in the Christian life is further and deeper into the gospel truth by faith. So right now, if you are a believer in Christ in this room, there is literally a war going on inside of you between your flesh and the Spirit of God. Moment by moment, just button heads. And Paul in Galatians 2.20 speaks of this old man or flesh that has been crucified with Christ, and now the truth is, in Christ, Christ dwells in us. And Paul says, the life I live now, key word, by faith, and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we have this tendency in thinking that faith is a one-time thing, that it's one and done. I placed my faith in Jesus, I'm good. But faith is not a one-time thing. We are to place our faith in Jesus daily, and not just daily, moment by moment throughout the day. Why? Because there is a war going on between us, between the spirit and the flesh. So I'm not telling you that you need to place your faith in Jesus for salvation every moment of every day. Like placing our faith in Jesus for salvation is a one-time thing. That's conversion. I believed in Christ. But we need to place our faith in Jesus daily for him to grow us and conform us into his image. This is sanctifying or transforming grace. This is what Paul is talking about in these verses here. That faith in Christ lies in the center of growing to be more like Christ. So if you go back and look at Paul's questions again, did you begin by grace in the Spirit to now be perfected in your own work and power? Is the Spirit that works in you do so because of your work and effort or through faith? It's by faith, guys. Um, This sanctifying or transforming grace happens through faith. We are saved and sustained by grace. It's not our own power, our own effort, done in our own flesh. The Bible in Isaiah 64 calls the things that we're doing in our own power, our own effort, our righteous works, filthy rags. Paul in Philippians calls them rubbish or dung, depending on your translation. 
So let me explain to you how this sanctifying and transforming grace became real to me. So I, I showed up in college and I believed in the saving grace of the gospel. I understood that. I was a sinner. I can't make myself right with God. Jesus could. He lived the perfect life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve. My faith was in it. But I decided, hey, yeah, I want to do the Christian thing in college. So I went to all the you know, Christian meetings. I went to Bible study. I read my Bible, or I tried to. I tried to pray. Um, I shared my faith on campus. Granted, I was tricked into it by my discipler. He's like, hey, let's go meet in the dorm. And I go over there, and he's like, we got these, like, five contact cards. We're going to go knock on the doors and talk. And I'm like, what? You know, anyways. Um, but I'm literally trying to do all these Christian things. So I even, one of the things, like, I was aware of sin, and I didn't want to sin. So sophomore year, it was in the fall, which is still warm in Texas, I'm like wearing this rubber band because I would find myself like, oh, there's a pretty girl, yeah. And so what I was doing is I was trying to condition myself to not look at pretty girls, so I would pop myself with a rubber band, right? Great way to change, behavior modification, right? So I just thought I could just keep popping myself. So I'm literally aware of my sin, and that was my way of trying to fight it. So internally, I wasn't like, here's my list of things I'm doing and things I'm not doing, but that's internally what I had done. And I thought God was happier with me because I did all of these Christian things. I thought I was growing in Christ's likeness when in reality I was only growing in self-righteousness. I thought I was wearing a tuxedo, but in reality I was wearing filthy rags because I'm doing these things in my own power. I understood the saving grace of God, but I did not understand the sanctifying grace of God, and I was trying to live the Christian life in my own power. Um, so I got, I'd been discipled by a student that graduated, and then I uh, started meeting with a new guy for discipleship, and it was early on. And one of the first questions he asked me in one of our first couple of meetings was like, why are you wearing that rubber band? And I'm like, oh, you know, sometimes I kind of struggle with like, you know, a pretty girl walks by and I'm like, oh yeah, she's pretty. And, oh yeah, she's yeah, pretty. It was always my wife because, you know, that's when we met in college. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll just kind of pop myself and that's me learning to not do that. And so he's kind of like scoffing at me. He's like, how's that going for you? Because your wrist, like this side looks a little cut up from you pulling on the rubber band. The other, this is all like bruised and welted. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you know, going well. Like I'm, training myself. I'm like Pavlov's dog when you ring the bell. I'm like salivate. No. Um, right? And he, so he literally is like, you realize that rubber band's going to do nothing for you. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you could literally cut off your hands and gouge out your eyes and you could still look lustfully or think lustfully about women. And I'm like, what? Like, how am I supposed to change then? How do you change? How do I not do this? So he begins to explain to me that our behaviors flow from our hearts. So if I want to change, I need to uproot these false um, behavior or false beliefs and motivations that are in my heart so that the gospel can take deeper root in my life. So then I'm like, well, how do I know if my heart has false motivations and desires, right? So he's like, well, why don't you just tell me about your walk with God? So I proceed to hand him my spiritual resume. I'm like, you know, like, I come to the weekly meeting every week. I go to your Bible study. You know that. Like, I must be awesome. You're meeting me for discipleship. I try to read. I try to pray, right? And I'm 
sitting here telling them all these things I'm doing that I think are um, good things. And the reality, he goes, yeah, your motivations are sinful and selfish and based on you, and you're not trusting in God for the transforming grace to change you. And I'm like, what? No. Like, I don't know. Um, And then he asked me one question that kind of like drove it home. He goes, Sam, do you think God is happier with you, more pleased with you, more accepting of you because you're doing all those things? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, no. You don't get it. You, you think that this is about your works and what you're doing and that that is making you like Christ. You have missed the boat here. Um, that I'm doing these things for my name and my glory. Like I'm looking at things that I have done and am doing and I'm thinking that they're earning me favor with God, that God is more pleased with me and my work and my effort and that I'm trying to live the Christian life in my own power devoid of the transforming grace of the gospel. So that's the truth that rocked me, that as a Christian, God is not happier with me He's not more pleased with me. He's not more accepting of me because of the things that I do for him. God's pleasure in me, God's delight in me, God's acceptance of me is found solely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. My worth, my identity, my value is not found in my religious performance or the things that I do in my own power. My worth, my identity, my value is found solely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that when... You are in Christ that God delights in you, that God is pleased with you, that God loves you, that God has accepted you, but not because of you, because of Christ. It has nothing to do with you, and it has everything to do with Jesus. So what we see the error that the Galatians were doing here is they were living in legalism, right? They were making their own set of rules with things and thinking that that was earning conforming them more into the image of Christ, earning their salvation, whatever the case is. So if you're hearing me and you're now thinking, sweet, I don't have to come to City Light U anymore because God loves me, you're swinging to the other end of the spectrum called licentiousness. I want to take it, I've got grace, I can do what I want, I've got grace, right? Um, And I'm not saying these things um, for you to run to one of those two things. What I'm wanting you to think about is what is my motivations and desire in my heart. The point here is to check those motivations and desires. So can you see that when our motivations and desires shift from our effort and our work to the grace given to us in Christ, that there is freedom? Because it's not based on us. It's based on Jesus. There is freedom from performing. There's freedom from pretending. There's freedom in his transforming and sanctifying grace. And I heard Joe say, say this to you guys a few weeks back. Grace puts an end to all earning, but not all effort. So the path that I was sent on that day in my meeting with my college discipler was a path that D.A. Carson calls grace-driven effort. The grace given to me in the gospel is the motivation and desire behind my walk with God and my Christian life. So my motivation and mantra for life shifted from I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God to I'm accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. So the reality is, is I still do a lot of the same things that I did in college today. So I I read my Bible, I pray, I lead a city group, I teach, I counsel, I do not wear a rubber band anymore. 
Um, but what has changed is the why behind those things. What the why used to be was this makes me right with God. This earns me favor with God. This is how I grow to be like Christ. It was all in me and my effort and my desire and my flesh. When today, grace is the motivation. I do things to cultivate my relationship with Christ because of Christ. Christ is the one that sanctifies me. He's the one that changes me. He's the one that conforms me into his image. So when you're sitting here going, so how, how do we as Christians grow and change? How are we sanctified? Through Christ, by grace, through faith. Our two greatest needs today are to be reminded of the gospel and what is true of us in the gospel, that if you are in Christ, you are chosen, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are righteous, you are adopted, you are a son or a daughter, you are an heir. That is what is true of you regardless of your present circumstances. You are a son or a daughter of God. So that's greatest need one. Greatest need two is to walk in the power of the Spirit. So by faith, we seek to walk in the truth of the gospel daily, and in faith, we allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to transform us into the image of the Son of God. So as we dwell on and remember the truth of the gospel and walk in the power of the Spirit, we will become more like Christ. We will be conformed into his image. So I don't even need to ask this question. Like, everybody's seen a river before, right? Please? Okay, so Clay, if you walk about uh, 45 blocks that way, there's a river. It's called the Missouri River. It's pretty wide. I have heard they dump a lot of sewage and chemicals in there, so be careful. If you touch the water, you may get sick or you may get superpowers. I don't know which one. One or the other. Coin flip. Go figure it out. You might be in the next Marvel Avengers movie, whatever the case is. Um, so what is true of a river? It's always moving. It's always flowing somewhere. So the surface may look calm, but if you are on the river, unless you're aware of like what's going on on the banks, like you're moving. So like the Missouri River eventually flows into the Mississippi River that flows into the, like the water's moving, right? Um, so just like we can drift in a river, we drift in our Christian life. We can drift. Hebrews 2.1 reminds us, let us hold fast to this truth lest we drift from it. So the reality is, is, yes, we drift, but we don't drift towards holiness in God. We drift towards complacency and sin and comfort and any, of, any number of things. And this is what happened to the Galatian believers. They believed the gospel. They understood that the gospel saves us. The gospel sanctifies us. But over time, they drifted. They allowed false teaching and lies um, to come in. So it's easy for us to look at the Galatians and think, come on, guys, really? Like, seriously? You're distorting and contradicting the saving and sanctifying grace of the gospel. And you're trusting in your own power and effort to be like Christ. It doesn't make any sense. But the reality is, is we're just like the Galatians. We drift from the truth. We stray from the truth. Without gospel intentionality in our lives, without the daily pursuit of Jesus, without daily remembering the grace given to us in the gospel, without grace-driven effort, without us daily allowing the Spirit of God and the Word of God to bear weight on our lives and our hearts, we too will drift towards sin and error. We too will distort and contradict the saving grace and sanctifying grace of the gospel. So I want to end with this. 
um, Paul, right, lovingly here pointed out error and blindness by lovingly asking some questions here. And I just want to ask us the same question. So City Light, you, are you bewitched into thinking that you are saved by your own efforts or your own works? Are you adding to the saving grace of the gospel? Are you so foolish to think that you are sustaining and sanctifying yourself in your own power and effort? Are you neglecting the sustaining and transforming grace of the gospel by walking in your own flesh and power and not the power of the Spirit? Let me encourage you to remember and walk in the truth of the gospel. Let me encourage you to walk in the truth that the gospel saves us and it sustains us and it sanctifies us and it conforms us into the image of Jesus. So the gospel is the power to save, but it's also the power to transform us and make us more like Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in Christ, once we believe in him, once we are saved, that what is true of us is that we are chosen, we are adopted, we are forgiven, we are righteous. We are holy in your sight, not because of us, but because of Jesus. And Father, I pray that if we have um, tried to be conformed into the image of Jesus, if we've tried to um, earn favor with you based on our own works and our own effort, Father, I pray that we would repent of that. I pray that we would trust in Jesus to sanctify us. Father, I pray that your word and spirit would work in our hearts and lives and conform us more into the image of your Son. I pray all of these things in his name. Amen.